The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello everyone, I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the Emir Editor of Provoke Media. Welcome to the podcast. I'm joined today by my fantastic colleague, Diana, in New York, and we're going to do a transatlantic walk through some of the PR trends we'd like to see in 2022. So we 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 normally do this huge trends forecast where we take, kind of break it down sector by sector, talk through and get pundits and, and commentators from the industry and agency leaders and in-house leaders to talk about um, the big trends they think are going to be uh, unfolding in the next year or so across, you know, healthcare and tech and consumer and public affairs and corporate and um, all the different sectors and disciplines in PR. And we decided to do it differently this year, partly because there's a lot of trends that are continuing, partly because there's it's such a lot of focus on on tech innovation and and healthcare that um, and so much overlap as well between sectors. So we thought we'd do something a little bit more dynamic this year. So what we've done is um, rather than being kind of being reductive, looking backwards as much as forwards, recycling issues, um, taking more account of that kind of conversion. Obviously, the pandemic's kind of smashed everyone's crystal balls anyway. So um, that's an interesting thing when you're doing a trends report. So what we what we did is we asked a handful of industry leaders across the world to do something a bit more refreshing. Rather than telling you what might happen, we've tapped into all those decades of experience to describe what, what they'd like to see play out this year. Um, uh, in his introduction to the piece, uh, uh, Arun said, think of it as curation combined with aspiration and a healthy dose of pragmatism with enough idealism to give us all something to aim for. So that's where we are. And we asked, so Paul, Diana, Arun and I all contributed a couple of ideas, things we'd like to see uh, with our kind of regional and global overviews. Then we've asked various other industry leaders to, to tell us what they'd like to see this year in the, in the global PR industry. Diana, hi, first of all. Oh, Maya. Rattling on. For <laughs> I enjoy listening to you. And, and uh, this is- <laughs> It's so nice. We've never done this one of these before, just the two of us. This is lovely. I know. It's like we're getting together for a chat. It is. Oh, if only. Hopefully that will happen at some point this year. But, uh, <laughs> a girl can dream. Uh, yes, we can, we can just dream. That would be so nice. And we should be doing this over a, a glass of wine in a nice bar in New York, ideally, next year. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, so, Diana, did you notice any th- any big themes emerge from you? I and mean, we've only done like twelve PR trends, but there there are a few themes, aren't there, that kind of emerged? Definitely. Um, the first theme that I saw, and it, it takes a variety of shapes, but definitely kind of focusing on um, the humans, the humans mm-hmm. out there, and um, you know, we see that in 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 the number of the trends that people would like to see. We see it from um, Paul's human rights, um, companies taking on human rights. Um, But we also see it down to personalization. Um, We see it in diversity and even the power of creative in terms of people, um, people, um, you know, really reaching out on kind of a visceral level to people Mm -hmm. and um, getting local. You know, all of these are things that I think sort of leverage the, the nuances of culture and people and reaching them on sort of an emotional level. So again, all, all of different scopes and in different ways, but that is certainly an overarching theme that I see. Um, data, 
everybody likes data. And um, one of the things that I took away from all the different calls on, on different kinds of data, and I am not a data person, but <laughs> I kind of feel, <laughs> you know how when, uh, you know, everything was trying to be digital first and everybody was trying to figure out the digital or instill the digital first mindset into organizations where, you know, digital is fully integrated into everything and it's that mentality. And that was sort of a, a transformation or a, a metamorphosis of, of different industries. And I kind of feel based on this, I'm hearing calls for something similar for data, where data is not a, um, a, a compartment or a department, but, you know, sort of infused into, you know, every, every different aspects of agency life and, and the mindset. Yeah, absolutely. That struck me, actually. It's interesting how you can see the same the same sort of language being applied to different things as the years go by, isn't it? Because, yeah, I, digital was just a different department in an agency. Exactly. Well, it's digital first, digital first. And now it's data first, data first. Although we also have human rights first. So, um yeah, I guess I guess that is the nature of uh, you know evolving technology, right? Um, but but always bringing up the the workforce and the mindset more than anything up to um, speed in it. Yeah, absolutely. Always always room for learning new skills in this industry. It's not going to stop anytime, is it? Should we go? Should we just kind of go through them one by one and just like if there's anything that really sticks out that we, we really want to say or reflect on, then we can just kind of. Button. Does that work? Should we do that? It does. It does. Okay. Um, but should we start with the boss? Let's start with the big boss. boss. <laughs> media. Why not? Paul Holmes, corporate. Paul Holmes wants to see corporates taking a real position on human rights. He says they're going to be pacing challenging questions about human rights this year. Um, from uh, China, World Cup preparation in Qatar, abortion rights in Texas. Uh, all over the place. There's going to be a lot of big issues in the headlines if our politicians can stop being distracted by smaller things. Um, and he says, I hope companies have the courage to move beyond bland banalities and take real positions on these vital issues. Now, my first thought of that was, yes, please, because obviously the power of business, purpose plus profit, speaking out on big social issues has is a, been a big theme in our uh, everything we've written about business leadership over the past couple of years. The other thing, though, is that there's such a lot of risk attached to doing that, right? So I think if think if companies are finding it hard enough to say what their climate and carbon targets are. <laughs> you think they're going to have a problem with Uyghurs and slave labor? I think um, it's I think it's a really difficult one, actually. And I, you know, I agree that would be brilliant because business can affect more change than than governments, arguably, these days. But I think it's I think there's such a lot of um reluctance to not speak up on stuff that isn't directly relevant to the business where it's not necessarily something way as a as a business you can affect change or contribute to things being different and I, I think there's a real um there's a real debate isn't there about whether business leaders should speak out as as human beings and as leaders on stuff that basically has nothing to do with them although arguably all these things impact on us um in some way or another, when we are exist in a very emotional cancel culture thing on social media now, I think it's really, it's like, yes, please do that. But also I can quite see why they, not all of them will. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I, and I see when you say corporations, you know, taking a real position on human rights and you would say, well, who doesn't want that and who wouldn't do that, right? So 
you know, you look at, at some of the examples in here, um, the use of slave labor, if you take, you know, those five words, of course, what corporation would not, you know, want to take a stand against the use of slave labor. But when you start boiling things down and getting into the weeds, and then you're looking at supply chains, um, you know, or you look at also companies taking a stand on abortion rights in Texas, that's not it. That's not cut and dry, you know. So it, it's one of those. It's it's one of those questions of, you know, the big umbrella of human rights. Of course, we're for human rights, but when you start boiling it down, it's going to get very, very complex, or it already has. Um, yeah, yeah, super, super complex, super, super sensitive, super political. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's a it's a brave CEO. He's gonna, who's going to do that. Although I completely acknowledge that would be. Uh, extremely wonderful if we did see more more business leaders stepping up and doing as well as saying obviously there's no point making a grand statement if you're not actually then going to do anything about it um we then go to uh Tard neptune and medtronic who's a, a regular um regular contributor to provoke we love what he's got to say and he's talking about personalization um which you touched on earlier Again, (laughs) you expect to be treated as unique individuals. My concern about like even smarter personalization is, you know, how much more, how small and much smaller our bubbles going to get? I mean, at the moment, because things aren't necessarily targeted brilliantly, that can be irritating, but also it then does allow you to see what else is going on in the world beyond the bit you've curated. So I think it's, again, I think that's a really... And he does say we need to focus on thinking critically on how best to engage audiences by orchestrating really complex programs mapped to their journeys across all platforms and channels. I think that's I think that's really important. But I also don't really want to be too bugged by stuff that seems like spookily targeted and personalized. I don't know if I'm just being contrary. No, no, no. I mean, we all feel that with ads. Um, I don't know we've experienced lately where you have a discussion about something and it shows up on your computer (laughs) and you're like my phone's listening to me it's like it's not yes and that is scary (laughs) um and um so so I get that I don't think anybody wants to go to that level um I see where he's going with the personalization of content because there's so much out there that Mm. you know otherwise you do content just does get lost um, but it's tough now, right? We, I, I, to some degree, we're at a stage where we want to open up to people, open people up to different kinds of content and different, um, not different kinds, but different viewpoints. Um, not just, you know, people are so shut off is what I'm saying. You know, there's, they're so, um, whether they read, you know, a, a, just stumbling on my words here. But people are already boxing themselves off. And so I wonder if just feeding them more of what they already know or want, where that where that plays out, if that mm. makes any sense at all. No, that makes complete that's complete sense. I think that's where I was going as well. I think it's really I think it's gonna I think it's difficult to get the balance right on that. But I, you know, hopefully the algorithms do all that, you know, do all that stuff and work out how you can be, you know, I re- I miss long reads the whole time, right? That I know I would love. And I'd love somebody to be pushing my way. Yes. But um, then you do have the time to read them. Um, And as as Tarad does say, though, he's talking about orchestrating, as he says, quote, orchestrating complex programs. So, you know, there is a way to do it in a smart way. 
And um, if you are getting more information to people um, in a somewhat balanced way while still getting yeah. your, your message across, then by all means. Yeah, it'd be interesting to say how see how all that kind of personalization, customization, big data, all that kind of plays out over the next few years, particularly with this kind of nebulous metaverse thing as well. We could all every word you said, completely like, different I have to get universes. my head around <laughs> metaverse, big data, personalization. I have to get my head around it all. Yeah, I mean it's lit. It's a bit like that movie and book, isn't it? Ready Player One. It's a bit like we are going to end up living in separate universes if we're if we're not careful so interesting interesting times ahead in the virtual yeah. universe um then we've got uh juliana richter global ceo of ogilvy she's talking about movements rather than moments which i think is a brilliant idea and talking about modern creative communications earned ideas that are yes informed by data and fueled by technology as we've all been talking about for years but but really human-centric really insightful culturally relevant um engaging with audiences so that it, it we're getting away from stunts and uh pr for the sake of a good idea to creating good social and interesting consumer movements effectively which i think most of the kind of progressive consumer PR shops in particular um, and those that are more focused on sustainability and purpose have kind of started doing already but I can see I can see that being picked up a lot more by um, agencies and brands over the next year or so can't you yeah definitely and it's almost kind of like an ideal right um, it, again this is appealing to to humans in a in a in a bigger way but in terms of a bigger scope and not just sort of peddling a, a thing or a, 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 a message. It's really getting in the thick of it with people. And I think that definitely, well, not definitely, hopefully will pick up. Well, I think that's, it's almost like she's written a, a manifesto for what public relation, modern public relations should be going. Well, forward. that's how I felt when I read this. I felt like, Oh, well, that's public relations. Like that's, that's sort of, summing up what it what it should or could be yeah absolutely it's an ideal let's hope we move further towards that on mass over the next year um and then uh following on from last week's launch of edelman's trust barometer paul holmes again he'd like to see the development of a monetary value for trust and like we bang on about um properly measuring and evaluating the value of pr the whole time how difficult it is how necessary it is uh it's an ongoing ongoing conversation in the industry how do we prove our that public relations has worth and paul's honed in on this notion of trust which edelman and others have been talking about for a, for a long time saying you'd like to see a frame the, the industry come together basically to collaborate and developing a framework that helps us put a monetary value on the trust uh that we can achieve for brands and businesses and obviously you know the risks of of not um working with advisors who are going to make sure that you are trusted so um yeah it's an interest it's an interesting one we need to answer the question of how much dollars a one percent increase in trust is really worth this pool so uh i mean that is that doesn't feel that that's going to happen in 2022 if i'm honest 
given that we're still talking about AVEs as a form of measurement for public relations. But I I love that idea. It's like maybe trust will finally be the thing where there's a measure on something that is not it's not even just directly linked to sales and uh, it's much more about the bigger picture beyond even reputation trust isn't it it's like a real core gut thing um, so um you know that will be very interesting to see if anyone cracks that algorithm yeah i um i'm kind of fascinated with this one and it was spinning in my head because as paul said that you know a lack of trust you can you can measure a lack of trust because people don't buy your product or people abandon it, whatever it is. But how on earth you put a dollar figure yeah. on trust? It's such an esoteric thing. So I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm not in the business of, of monetizing trust, but you know how, how you can measure that and how you can really put a quantitative value on it is uh, it would be very interesting and and take a lot of minds to figure that out but i think it's a fascinating idea well all, all my all my data and analytics geeks who are friends please answer us on a postcard how are we going to do this and how does the industry work together to achieve that this will be very interesting amic needs to get involved clearly as well so um we'll see i think Paul, paul's kind of put put it out there now so um we'll see if the industry <laughs> who jumps on board <laughs> Um, the next thing, going back to one of your um, one of your human things earlier, Jan Robertson at um, Ketchum, UK CEO and uh, CEO of Global Client Solutions. Um, Joanne says, as a working class girl from the west of Scotland, she's been working for 20 years to see more diversity in the PR industry. We all know Ketchum is an absolute leader in all aspects of diversity. Um, we're not just um, we're, we're not just talking about racial diversity inclusion. She's also really keen to see more emphasis on um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds coming in, into the industry. And she says this takes a complete rethink on what we expect to see on a CV, how we onboard, promote a sense of belonging, who we partner with. It's a much broader thing on just uh, recruitment processes. Obviously, getting getting a a workforce, particularly an agency, and particularly in the Western world that isn't just kind of white, middle class and privately educated. So I think that's going to be, I think that, I, I mean, I'm also, I'm totally with Joanne on this one. I'm very keen to see the makeup of the PR industry change significantly over the next um, couple of years. I, I mean, I know it's a long-term project and you kind of have to start with school leavers really, if not before, Um but that would be that would just move things forward so um, effectively if had people who just looked different, had a different worldview, have different experiences, uh, therefore have different creative ideas, different influences. And, yeah, it's it, I think that's uh, that needs to happen. But it's it. You know, we've we've been we've been trying we've been trying or have we been trying as an industry for the past couple of years to move things forward on race in particular. And um, it's a, it's, it's a hard slog, but I, I mean, I just hope everyone's hearts in the right place and the efforts, efforts keep on coming. Well, it's a hard one to crack real DE&I, I think. Absolutely. And um, it's so different in so many different parts of the world. I kind of find that fascinating is what does DE&I mean in, you know, I, I, I'm plunging a story on Mexico, um, yeah. you know, versus I'm here in New York. Um, I really love that Joanne put in the social mobility factor. Um, I don't. Th I think that's something that um, gets overlooked. 
but just as we need a racial, cultural, um, gender mix, you know, not everybody, like you said, grows up white middle class and people do have different experiences. Um, it reminds me of a college survey, university survey that I see that I saw being done and it ranked colleges not on, you know, who's going to work at Goldman Sachs, like the Harvards of the world, mm. but what colleges promote social mobility and, you know, kids that come in and, and go out and Harvard was like 125th or something like that. Wow. So it's a whole other way of, of up, upward mobility and um, helping the industry progress in the process. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good to see. I mean, it's perfectly doable where there's a will, there's a way, but it's, I think it's a, it's a really tough one, tough one to crack. Um, oh, is mine is the next thing. Technology. Oh, you, should I read it for you? <laughs> Technology is a tool rather than a substitute. This was not, I promise you, not at all driven by my desire to get back to Cannes and awards dues and events and networking this year. But it wouldn't be bad. <laughs> Which, and travel, I promise you. No, it was. Of course it was. Everyone wants to get back to human contact, I think. Um, we've all missed it. Some of us have become a little bit reclusive, maybe a little bit lazy, maybe a little bit too reliant on Zoom and Teams and Google Meets and, you know, Slack and messaging and, and all that kind of stuff, which is all brilliant. All that technology we've all completely embraced. It's wonderful that we can work more flexibly. Uh, it's changed people's lives for the better um, in lots of ways. However, I think it's really important that we don't use technology as a substitute for human human interaction, that we do get back safely and as quickly as possible to doing uh events and properly embrace the hybrid model so the assumption is that some people will be there and some people won't and that's whether that's an office meeting or a or a bigger conference or an awards ceremony i just think it's absolutely critical to like there's still stuff that you cannot do as effectively remotely the whole time and i miss people and i'm it's such a human industry isn't it it's like we're very it's full of people who want to talk to people and want to listen to people and want to learn from each other and just have that kind of proper, intense, creative, fun human interaction. And I feel like we need to we need to get back to that this year as quickly and as safely as possible, rather than just saying, "Oh, let's just do, let's just do a Zoom, let's just jump on a call." It's like, no, just get out there and have a cup of coffee and say hi and you know. Um, I don't know, perhaps I'm like more desperate to get out of my house than most, but um, I, I just think it's really important in a relationship-based relationship business full of really kind of passionate, creative human beings that we, that we do more of that as soon as possible. I think you're going to find a lot of support for that. I think you already do, right? That everybody's starting to... Um get get moving and get antsy the problem i think is that every time you know we haven't nothing's been able to be tested because every time um we think people are going to head back to the office in some sort of way um some sort of hybrid model it gets sidetracked with um a little thing called covid so yeah um <laughs> hopefully another variant start ironing that out this year <laughs> yeah I, I mean god only knows what's going to happen this year it's all up in the air isn't it really but um that's the problem yeah the idea is uh, great and the idea is yeah and you know i some of us got covid at industry events last year, so <laughs> some of us did 
Um, but it's uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's fundamental, really. And particularly for like the creative agencies I've spoken to who are very much pushing back for a, a, a more than two days a week return to the office just because creative work and creative ideas are better if you are getting out of your house and you're not just looking at your own four walls and then brainstorming with with other people and um and, and bouncing off each other so you know even on that kind of are we having a meeting level I think it's I think uh yeah I'm not talking about 700 people in a room although as lovely as that is necessarily but I think it's really important that we we've we remember we're human beings this year and that we've missed something about being human which is you know engaging with each other properly in person so um i for one can be yes. found <laughs> in can <laughs> in can hopefully i it's really weird actually because i used to hate hate networking as a high functioning introvert i used to turn up at that minute before everyone was called in to sit down for dinner at a thing an industry thing because i was like i don't want to do the networking bit it's too it's too awkward i hate it and the last couple of things i've been to i've literally been in there the moment they open the doors it's like i just want to i just want to see people i want to say hi i want to see how you are i just want to chat so um yeah that's <laughs> kind of a bit of self-interest in that one so when we get back to this you will be first in line i will i'm i am very much first in line now i think it's fundamentally changed my personality being shot at home for two years um we've got lovely alex maloof um uh, in the middle east talking ser- get serious about being local this goes back to your point about like what diversity looks like in different bits of the world right so alex is in um UAE at the moment and he said he'd love 2022 to be the year when we get serious about going local focusing on local languages developing the capabilities of locals before bringing in expats crucial in that bit of the world um as in others and seek to really understand local audiences he says it sounds simple and it should be it's about relating to stakeholders doing impactful work and going truly local in our approach to communications and public relations. I think this is a really interesting and important point. It's like not forgetting who some of your stakeholders are and they're not necessarily going to be who you think they are and forgetting your local, yeah, your local audiences is really, really, um, it's really easy to do, but it's really important that you don't. I think that's a really interesting point culturally as well, that, I think in the Middle East, there's a lot of emphasis on appealing to kind of, you know, the um, the expat middle classes and um, uh, just not necessarily targeting communications at local populations. So that's going to be really interesting to see if if that is a trend that emerges over the next year. I mean, again, you know, going back to your experience with with um, with South American um, and Central American audiences, that's that kind of acknowledging that cultural diversity is a real thing, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, there are, are cultures that um, no matter how long you are, how much you are among them or working with them, you you may, you know, cultural sometimes is, is a sort of innate feeling. Um, you know, the little nuances, how people speak to each other. Um, all those things beyond just language. It's almost a little patronizing for, for other people to come in and feel that they can adopt that or let alone speak, speak to those local cultures. Um, so I think it's essential and, and, and getting buy-in and getting buy-in. So you have certain cultures that aren't going to want to, you know, 
answer or or get buy-in from either the person or the campaign or whatever the message or whatever it may be from again from the expat who's flown in or or whatever it is to speak yeah well it goes back to the point about having having a broader makeup of people in your comms teams because if the if the makeup of your comms team or agency isn't mirroring in any way the the audience base then you're not necessarily going to have those point of connections or understand um understand where messages need to be you know where where what is being paid attention to because you're just making assumptions so it kind of goes back to that whole whole point about making sure that you're representing i think internally as well as as well as trying to represent externally it's a yeah, really I, some of that stuff I don't, you can't learn there are things out there cultural things that that i don't think people can learn people who are not I mean, they can appreciate or respect or understand but i don't know that you can like really feel it or learn certain cultural nuances yeah no absolutely of course oh, yeah i totally agree with you you can't you don't know what it's like to be somebody who isn't you know, at least at least fifty percent like you, essentially, right. um, and that's so. Bring those people in. <laughs> bring them in. And, oh, Which leads us to our next one. <laughs> leads us to our next one. Arun's biggie. The PR industry cannot claim ignorance of systemic racial inequities that continue to plague its agencies any longer. We need urgent action to address racial inequities. And he says, for all the laudable rhetoric. It's time for PR firms to start delivering in terms of reality. Um, uh, at minimum, full transparency on promotion and pay gaps, targets and accountability, proactive measures. He says it's hard work, but it's hardly impossible. And to our point, it will only help the industry better reflect the various communities it depends on. Um, yeah, I mean, Irene's not pulling any punches here. Uh, you know, I know how difficult you found it to get any kind of hard diversity targets and data and progress um anything hard in terms of facts out of agencies who spent you know that whole spring and summer of 2020 um saying we're going to make we're going to make a difference these are our targets this is what we're going to do and then it's it feels a bit like have we made any progress it's been really hard hasn't it getting any kind of proof out of anybody it has which is is kind of a shame because it's um I mean, I think it's universally understood <laughs> that the industry mm -hmm. has to make gains on this. And I think it would be fairly universally appreciated taking the hearts, the, the necessary steps to do this. And I, I think people also probably universally understand that it is going to be a process. So I don't know what firms would be hiding or losing by putting it out there and being honest about it as long as they are taking the necessary actions and making steps. I mean, I think last year was a lot of probably implementing those processes and kind of coming to grips with the facts of um, a lack of diversity and changes that need to be made. Mm -hmm. But this year, perhaps it is time to step those, not perhaps, it is time to step those things up and, and take the action and, and get moving. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's okay to say we're on a journey and we've got it, wrong or haven't done enough in the past and this is we we're, we're not doing great we're going to try and do great and um this is what we're actually doing about it I think it's again it goes back to that risk of that 
the the risk factors of stepping up and speaking out and they've got it's got to be tied to action it's got to be authentic it's and and it has to result in change and that can sometimes be a much slower process than anyone would like so um i hope agencies will start being more more open about what they're doing what they're getting wrong what they're getting right um over the next year or so because it is it's about time full stop um this is another interesting point on messaging, communicating with stakeholders from Joanne Painter at ICON in Australia. Um, and she's saying the past few years have seen sensationalized messaging from traditional media go into overdrive, resulting in less impact and audience fatigue, particularly on health messaging for the government. Uh, and she's talking about working with internal stakeholders more to help them become your key comms advocates, harnessing their own personal and direct networks, engaging employees better, um, and using industry stakeholders and industry associations to validate that message. And again, going back to the diversity point, community cultural leaders to guide your messages. So, I mean, her point is, um, Joanne's point is that government, <laughs> uh, again, to reference the Edelman Trust Barometer, uh, media and government are now becoming less trusted and it's up to businesses to step up and make sure the right messages go out particularly on healthcare stuff as we've seen over the past couple of years um it's interesting how many of these these points come back to whose messages are trusted isn't it absolutely and the idea of working with your stakeholders it's almost like you have an audience that's already bought in right so send them out to tell the message instead of having to um, you know, start with start from scratch, start with nothing. And um, if these are believers and and people that have sort of tentacles into the community, then uh, why wouldn't you leverage them? I think it's really interesting, though, isn't it, that brands are considering how to bypass the mainstream media. I mean, that seems absolutely bizarre because obviously the meat, you know, we're an industry that was based on media relations as its kind of core and early function and and earned media being getting a journalist to write about what you're doing and saying uh, the idea that the the main aim, <laughs> the main aim of corporate communications people is to bypass the media because things might get twisted or sensationalized or uh, the media contributing to the rise of misinformation and disinformation and that social media as well as you know uh, the traditional media obviously it's really it's really interesting how the the perception of the media the function of the media has got quite twisted over this time and the idea that a media relations function is see you know that the, the relationship is to is the point is to not have a relationship with the media yeah, i find it very sad media. to tell you the truth not that i i mean i i certainly there's a uh, a role for all the other stakeholders but i find it very sad that that's the stage we're at that we are avoiding the media yeah i think there's a there's a there's something to be there's something to be written here by your eye, I think, about what the shape of the media is now, how it's evolving, why and how trust is dropping, whether that's linked to drops in funding, cuts, rise of clickbait on social. Um, you know, it's really interesting. What's what is the shape of the media landscape now? And what how is the relationship and that kind of contract between comms people and journalists shifting again? Because it's always been some tension, but you know, it, one has always depended on the other and vice versa. Um, it's really interesting how that relationship's shifting. So, yeah, we should we should do something about that, Diana. Let's write something. Okay. Next um, <laughs> the next thing, funnily enough, is your point on taking the lead on tackling disinformation. Tell me what your thoughts are with there. 
Well, um, the technology, the data is there, um, the data and analytical capabilities rather. Um, and you know, when you look at when you look at that, so you have have agencies rolling out these tools that can predict or see disinformation about their clients, you know, in the very tiny early stages before it's dispersed mm -hmm. into the world of, you know, cyberspace and social media and all that. I, I, I find that fascinating and that you could proactively try to nip it in the bud. And with that sort of capability, I think the PR industries has almost a responsibility to use those capabilities beyond just for their client purposes, because disinformation is so destructive. As we were just talking about, it's not it's not helping the PR industry, obviously, because not only could it put their clients in crisis, but they don't even want to use media relations in some cases. And it could give the public relations, you know, if, if we are in the business of serving the public or, or talking to the public, it could really, like I say, give them a kind of a watchdog, a watchdog role. Uh, and I think a very important one. And if their tools are being there and invested in already, then why not put it out to a bigger scope? I think that's a really, really interesting thought. The idea of the industry again working together to to yeah, uh, uh, doing a doing a public service effectively because yes. we've yes. got we've... doing their CSR. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, doing their their yeah doing their public service, and that could be theirs. Well, I'm the, all for it. Well, the parents who talk so much about purpose now as well on behalf of clients you know helping businesses right. and brands articulate their purpose you know maybe this is maybe this is part of our purpose as an yeah. industry Absolutely. is to is to be a watchdog and to call stuff out and to um uh yeah be be the i mean it's like again this is such a, a this is such a, the world turning on its axis this is like the opposite of doing the spin right this is <laughs> This is calling out the spin and worse than. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting thought. I love that idea. Yeah, well, cool. I think the, 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 it stands to get the um, industry uh, more attention, more respect also. Not that it doesn't have respect, but the, the general public doesn't know, right? Um, so it definitely could do what it's, it's public relations for the public relations industry. I think that's a brilliant idea. Okay, I've filed that one away as well somewhere. Um, PR for the PR industry. I mean, we do need it, let's face it. Um, it's nice not to be getting the blame for everything all the time these days because government and media are doing that for themselves. <laughs> They're taking it for us. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's not. It, it, I think that's really interesting. It's like the, the opposite of shoot the messenger, isn't it? It's like, please please give us the message about what's actually happening for a change. Yeah. Um, final point, back to me. No um, <laughs> uh, this actually goes back a little bit to um, uh, Joanne's point about more focus on internal stakeholders and really nurturing your employees as advocates in a way and, uh, and as messengers. Um, uh, and I think I think one of the most interesting things we saw in the very early days of the um, COVID crisis from a from a business point of view is that the first thing that needed to be done was not just communicate outwards to customers that everything's OK, we'll be with you, you know, back in a few months, everything's going to be fine, um, but also to communicate internally to employees in a way that 
most businesses had not taken seriously before. And I think one of the, you know, crisis management, obviously, in corporate council went through the move immediately for as sectors of the PR industry that, dare we say, it benefited from the pandemic. But I think one of the most, I mean, maybe not a surprise, but one of the most interesting turns has been the employee engagement and internal comms, which were not seen as the sexiest bits of the industry, if we're totally honest, um, what just became mission critical. And there's a, suddenly there's a seat in the boardroom for the, for the you know, employee engagement specialist, the, the internal, internal comms guy or girl, because... It became uh, when you're focused on the health and well-being of your people uh, who are worried about, you know, illness, job losses, completely having to change their working practices in many, many cases. Um, you know, executives forced to adjust to new, uh, more empathetic leadership and different communication style and had to reassure, update their teams daily almost. Um, so I think that was really interesting how quickly employee engagement and internal comms um, evolved and became a very grown up business critical function over the course of the pandemic. And I'd love to see more agencies develop employee communications into really fully fledged business offers and and really kind of maintain that momentum and not kind of slip back uh, out of the C-suite um, once things settle down a bit, as hopefully they will over the course of this year. Absolutely. Hopefully that, the, like you said, the momentum continues. So yeah. So, uh... I would hate when people get back to whatever the new normal is. <laughs> they, everybody says we're not going back to 2019. So let's hope that this is another arena in which we are not going back. Yeah, there's no going back now, is there? We've come too far. I, just, I, I keep thinking about those early days when everyone's just like, yeah, it'll be a few weeks of working from home. It's like, no. Really us. <laughs> we are in year three of a pandemic. Um, it's uh, interesting uh, times interesting I times i swear we're all going to need post-traumatic stress disorder counseling like in our in a few years time when we all actually have come out the other side um diana thank you so much loads of big themes about thank you human in the pr industry loads of stuff about data and technology loads of great ideas from from all our commentators across the world for for trends we'd like to see during 2022 um, let's revisit in a year's time and see how far we got. Okay. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.